This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. The film study. This time, exciting show. A review of the draft with Alec Ulianis of Ravens Recap. Alec, how you doing this morning? Doing all right, Ken. This is a crazy draft. It did not go at all how I expected, I must say, but uh, it's growing on me substantially. Yeah, some some very surprising picks. We actually watched part of the draft together on the Zoom call, you know, virtual draft party, and uh, uh, it was there's a lot to take in about you know what is a very strange Ravens strategy, very very different from normal. Not only did they draft a bunch of inside linebacker talent, they actually spent, by my count, 47 percent of their draft capital at inside linebacker, but they did something else, and they that I don't remember the Ravens ever doing. They took all big school players. They didn't take a single small school pick. So it's usually the strength of the Ravens scouting department. Maybe this is something that was different for this year as they didn't have as much time to small scout, scout small school players, or maybe they thought we'll just get everybody we want in the UDFA process because nobody has scouted the small school players like we have. 
and we'll have a good chance of them. But in any case, you know, the dearth of Grand Valley State or, uh, you know, small schools that have led to some great players, uh, Samford or I forget where Williams came from, but uh, uh, you know, other small schools on the list of players. It's all Iowa, uh, the smallest program, the only one that's that's not really from one of the big conferences was a pick from SMU. Yeah, I did hear that DaCosta might be shifting away from smaller schools in general and that he might be more of a uh, big school drafter. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll have to see if this becomes a new trend for the Ravens. Yeah, he did say something about that. Like maybe it had to do with a smaller program or something that, that he didn't uh, he didn't feel like he could uh, uh, he could get as much uh, done this time. But anyway. Big school picks, or maybe it might have had to do with the off-season program and the bigger schools had done more. In any case, uh, we are where we are. I'm sure there'll be some small school uh, people coming in in the UDFA picks. We're not going to cover that on this show. Uh, we might hit on it tangentially, but we maybe have a separate show about that later this week. Um, so anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, first pick on the board was number number 28. And the Ravens retained the pick. They didn't trade it. I you always think there's a reasonable chance they'll trade back, a small chance they'll trade up. But they uh, drafted Patrick Queen to address the inside linebacker spot. Yep. It, uh, it happened, Ken. We heard a lot of people talking about Patrick Queen. A lot of people had him, them, uh, had him as their favorite over Murray. And uh, it, it happened. And it's kind of interesting. The big thing that I took away from Patrick Queen and just in general the way the Ravens approach this draft is we tend to talk about particularly I've heard our film study talk about uh, getting a good economy out of these picks picking players who we know um, are in positions that they'll get paid on that second contract and trying to get a good economy but we actually have a lot of those players already so the Ravens were like you know what we're gonna just take really good players no matter where they are uh, and Patrick Queen's definitely one of those examples he's starting to grow on me I'm excited to see um, just a three-down linebacker again in the Ravens. Yeah, and and obviously with the pick of Harrison later, they've remade their defense in a way that will create more set-piece looks, more um, inside linebacker play on the field. Now they, we're going to get to Harrison a little later because he's a very special cat, and he may him him with Queen improves the Queen pick in some ways, but it's also, it's a, it's obviously a ton of draft capital that Ravens spent the position. They spent their first round pick and they spent one of their third round picks, which uh, like you said, is about 47% in total. We'll, we'll continue on with this because I think this is an interesting theme as we go through, but Queen himself, six foot two twenty nine. the knock on him has been kind of a slender build despite um, uh, extremely uh, obvious speed on the field. Uh, he has explosive combine numbers of 4, 5, 40, top end vertical and broad jumps, uh, 31 and 5 eighths arms, not ideal for shedding blocks at inside linebacker, but not off the charts bad either. Um, if you look at the two players last year, the two Devons, I call them, Devin Bush, 5'11", 234, 443, 40, a little faster, a little bigger, one inch shorter, and Devin White, 6'237", 442 is bigger and faster. He was drafted fifth overall. Um, he is a year younger than those guys coming out, and those guys were drafted um, – those guys are a year older, I should say. Um, they were drafted number five and ten overall. White did not have a particularly good rookie year. 
and Bush did. The reason I'm going through all this right now is that expectations need to be set properly for Patrick Queen as a rookie. I think he'll contribute. I think he'll play a lot of snaps. I don't think we're going to see a great season in his very first year. I, I think he will find ways to contribute within the system, and 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 he'll grow um, over the next several years. But it's definitely a seed being planted. Yeah, he's 20 right now. He'll be 21 by season start. And he only really had that one year uh, playing a full season. So the uh, the guy has tons of headroom, lots of potential to continue to grow. Um, and I think we even saw in his last year, he, he kind of improved as the season went along. So definitely we're, we're getting him at his floor right now. And you could say that for all the rookies, but I think for Queen, it might be uh, especially especially lower for what his ceiling might be. Right. He's definitely improved very quickly. And that's why a lot of teams probably had a hard time draft valuing him in the draft because he moved forward and had, uh, let's see, about three quarters of his college snaps were in 2000, maybe 70% were in 2019, but he played very little previously at LSU and he's a junior now. So, so the fact that he improved during the year, which is noticeable, and he's playing his best ge- ge- uh, ball at uh, bowl time really tells you there's a player who's developing here very quickly. And I think the Ravens probably did like his ceiling. They liked, you know, more things that could go right. Now, I've heard, you know, the effusive praise has been laid on Queen about how good he is in coverage and whatnot. I, I think the potential is there. I think he, he it's something he probably needs to get better at. He needs to get better as a shedder. Uh, you know, at, at his size, he needs to make sure he doesn't get lost in NFL traffic, uh, try and avoid the wash. But there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be a great pursuit player. He, he probably will be a good gap gambler, although that's something we need to see. I'm a little concerned still about NFL play action and how he'll respond to that. Um, but, you know, it's again, these are things that grew over time. Mosley and Lewis weren't there right, right off the fact. I mean, Ray Lewis was a two-down linebacker as a rookie. He didn't have the green dot, and he wasn't on the field despite the Ravens' defense being very bad in 1996 on third down. So uh, the great Benny Anderson. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not right. That's a, that's a lineman. Uh, who am I thinking of? The special teams player, and I thought it was Benny Thompson, was okay. on the field in, in, the, uh, in the quarter replacing him. So uh, uh, it's something I often talk about. But anyway, it's uh, I, I expect him to play – a very high percentage of snaps. Maybe he may play every snap, uh, but he does not have to if Clark keeps that green dot. Yeah, and we don't want to get too deep into the packages that will happen this year, uh, given the change. But uh, I think the nice thing is that you have that trajectory. You can see how it's going to happen. I mean, we went from having um, Fort and somebody, you know, somebody who is bored or Laka to potentially Fort being a situational player, right? So this was a big, big change for the middle linebacker position for the Ravens. Um, I think, like you said, he, he definitely is going to have to improve in his coverage ability over time uh, and making sure that he is able to read the play action. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I saw is that he does make pretty good reads uh, already. So hopefully he'll continue to do that um, and, and continue to improve. I'm curious to see if he'll get the green dot over time. Um, I kind of like Chuck Clark with it, um, obviously, because we had the success. We're, we're tainted by that. But uh, I'm curious. Do you think they have any incentive to switch that? 
if if they wanted Clark to play purely on the back end, so for example, when Thomas retires, if Clark moves to free safety, then I think it's a possibility. But I think they really have their guy right now. He's smart. They went 12 and 0 down the stretch with him, or 11 and 0 actually, I think, with him wearing the green dot down the stretch. So I don't see a reason to change. I saw so much good, and and if you want later in the season to have Queen. Um, uh, come off the field for any reason. And, you know, I don't think the Ravens know exactly where they are with that. You still maintain that flexibility, whereas Clark is never leaving the field. So we're, mm. we're uh, or never unless there's an injury. So, yeah, uh, we'd hope that. So I think, I think the green dot will stay with Clark initially. And, and uh, you know, the, the other reason, if Clark is playing a lot more on the back end in two deep zones, you know, cover two kind of packages, then I think it's possible. Also, they'd, they'd, they'd want to move Clark. But since Clark is, you know, been this ongoing dime back when they put that package on and they have that package on a lot. I think it's more likely that, that um, he's, he keeps it and uh, seems to be, you know, good with it. I, I really um, I, I don't see a reason to change at this point. Yeah, I don't think maybe this year. I'm just saying in general, I don't know that it really affords anything. So, all right. I mean, that's basically all I had about Patrick Queen. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to. Um, yeah, so it, just some usage things. I expect him to play the weak side linebacker role with Harrison at the mic on early downs. So w- then I expect when they when they shift to these dime coverages, it'll be Clark coming in and standing next to Queen in the dime, uh, you know, for for some obvious passing situation. So uh, it, it's made it's often said that Queen is a good blitzer as well. He certainly is fast. And hopefully he can play off the butt because he's got some great twisters playing in front of him that should really create opportunities for him uh, on the inside of Blitz the quarterback. So I'm excited about that. Um, you know, I, I'm still su- a little surprised organizationally at what the Ravens did here, that they effectively gave up on economizing at ILB after a very successful year of doing so. And uh, like I said, spent a lot, a high, per- high percentage of their draft capital doing so. Yeah, and I, actually, one last point then about, about Queen. He is younger, which is something we like to talk about because of the second contract. But because he's at the linebacker position, um, I think both of us don't really foresee that actually happening. So it's uh, it's kind of frustrating, right? <laughs> it's like you, you get the younger player. He has that value. Um, but it's at a position where it, it's hard to um, justify spending that kind of money. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a legitimate point. Is the Ravens need to find out where they're going to economize, and if inside linebacker uh, were to continue to be it because they've been so good at finding guys, that's one thing. But really, it's it's Martindale and his ability to uh, get the inside linebackers on and off the field has just been exceptional. Dean Pease lived in fear of being caught in a lighter personnel package after putting the dime in, and for that reason, I think. He didn't really like the, like the dime all that much. In, in his first five years, the Ravens only played 3% dime packages compared to 42% diamond quarter last year that the Ravens played. So very unusual kind of a, um, a, a guy. But, he, but it's like you're afraid of giving up an eight-yard run on first down more than you're afraid of giving up the third down conversion. That's that's just the wrong way. You're letting the, you're letting the uh, cart drag the horse then. As opposed to, or it's a tail wag the dog, right? That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a look at look back for a second at how the Ravens got Queen, because a lot of people did not think he would drop to number twenty eight. But I think there were four key picks in that first round, which basically were out of order. I'll call them, and it was surprising that Queen um, was not drafted ahead of these guys. 
Okay, not necessarily by these teams, because these teams might have had needs at these positions, or but but they could have traded picks or somebody else. I mean, all of these picks were placed were were ahead of Queen and surprising. That's the that's the combination. So the first is number sixteen, AJ Terrell to the Falcons. A lot of people like him, but but I you know a lot of people had him outside the first round as well or or late in the first round. So he was a surprising pick. Um, uh, to be ahead of number 28. Austin Jackson, number 18, went to the Dolphins. Um, one of the real first shockers of the of the draft was Damon Arnett going at number 19 of the Raiders and seeing Bruden and Mayock congratulate themselves on a guy they probably could have had in round two. <laughs> right. And then the, the last course, and this is the biggest surprise of all because it's a one-for-one comp, was number 27, Jordan Brooks, to the Seahawks. I've heard all kinds of weird things, but I like Jordan Brooks, but I thought he's a guy that they can economize on. They can get him in the third round, fill their two-down thumper role, and that would allow the Ravens to, to you know, draft the other positions they need, like an edge rusher in this first round, which, you know, they never found the ability to, to get at any point during the draft. But I've also heard that Jordan Brooks might have been the Ravens pick if uh, Queen had been taken at number 28. So if they were that committed to taking inside linebacker, I'm very happy it worked out how it did because I, I like <laughs> Queen a lot better than Jordan Brooks. And uh, Jordan Brooks, a, a very stout run defender, but goes to the Seahawks at 27. Um, a lot of people want to toss in Jordan Love, who the Packers traded up to 26. And there was a chance, I think it was Miami at that point. I may have it wrong. Whoever was drafting at 26 was, was, a, was a chance to take Love. But uh, he also had been projected as high as the top 10. So I, I thought he would be gone by number 28. So I wouldn't include him in this group. But those four guys really gave the Ravens queen in this draft. It might be recency bias, Ken, but I do feel like there was a bit more surprises. And I don't know if that was because of the format where there wasn't as much group to think due to uh, you know everyone not being able to congregate as often um, at pro days, et cetera. But yeah, it, 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 there was quite a few picks where you're like, okay, and 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 particularly even the wide receivers, right? They they fell forever. Uh, and then Ruggs was the first one off the board, which was kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of differences this year. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm ready to go into the next pick. All right, sure thing. So let's let's do it. Number 55. So Ravens have have. Uh, you want you introduce him here? Sure. So 55. Ken and I uh, and a whole bunch of other fans were watching together. It was a good time for the second and third rounds. Um, this this pick was taunted. Uh, because of a commercial break, we were it was already on Twitter, but we had to wait. And uh, D.A. Dobbins, running back out of Ohio State University, um, at pick 55, no less, very similar, because that's uh, when Ray Rice was picked, and a very similar build, 5'9", 209. Um, it, <laughs> it was shocking, the parallels with uh, Ray Rice, and also just I was floored that the Ravens picked the running back uh, that early in the draft. Yes, it is surprising. I mean, they have two guys who are early on their first cut, who are still early. I keep hearing that that uh, Gus Edwards is a free agent after New Year's. That's it's technic after next year. He's technically a free agent this year. He's just an exclusive rights free agent. Next year, he's a restricted free agent. It means the Ravens can have him for three million. So there's two years of Gus Edwards, very cheap, still to play in Baltimore. They're not trading him. At least I don't see that as a as a realistic thing. And he's still the Ravens' biggest back by far. He's 30 pounds heavier than Dobbins. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see any reason why Gus Edwards has to go because of this pick. Uh, Dobbins at, at uh, 
at 59209 it, it you know has the potential to take Ingram's spot after this year or after next year either one uh he certainly is a a reasonable choice as the third down back has a lot of build similarities to Ingram in terms of his compact uh size going to have to learn how to be a pass blocker in the NFL but he has been a pretty good receiver in college i i you know i hear people talk about a couple individual drops but his percentage of um, balls caught very high in his uh, in his time at Ohio State, so I'm I'm excited about that. But uh, the things to love him as a runner are vision, and I think it, when he takes that to the next level, the Ravens do such a good job of blocking downfield that vision is really going to pay off, and and it really comes in two forms. One is see the field, but also is understand how those blocks are are being thrown and are going to be thrown in front of him, and that's that's something that that. You know, the Ravens will provide him with more visual clues on that because they're so good at blocking in level two and level three um, uh, that, that he'll have to use appropriately uh, to change direction or change speed as necessary. One thing I'm seeing a lot of Ravens fans talk about is uh, a concern over Ingram's overall health. You know, he got injured at the end of the year. He uh, rehabbed in order to come back for the playoff game. He didn't look fantastic in the playoff game. Um, and people are wondering, maybe there's more to it, and maybe he'll even get a bigger role right away than we are maybe anticipating. I don't know, but he definitely does seem like a back that, with some development, could be your every down back. Uh, pass catcher on third down, uh, or the ability to run block as he improves with that, or um, pass block, rather, as he improves. Um, I think one thing I really noticed in his film is his springiness and just keep on churning those legs. Um, which is two attributes I always am um, excited to see. Definitely a home run hitter can take it to the house uh, if he gets a crease. So definitely explosive player. I didn't know we need another explosive running back. Uh, I thought anyone could be explosive next to Lamar Jackson, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it I, this could be extremely fun, Ken. That's that's my biggest takeaway. Is uh, we'll probably forget about his draft capital come Sundays when he's uh, tearing it up. But uh, it it wasn't wasn't my pick. Uh, as you know, I was really hoping we get Denzel Mims here. We saw the Jets on the horizon before our 60th pick, and sure enough, they they chose him right before us. So um, it was uh, I, I was grieving a little bit there because Mims was my probably one of my favorite prospects in the whole draft. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm really hoping that he pleasantly surprises me. Yeah, it's uh, Dobbins. You mentioned the breakaway speed. Let's go for that for a second. It's 6.7 yards per carry for the season. Okay, it's Ohio State, so they're going to have an advantage in a lot of ways over some of the smaller teams. And they play some lousy teams, even though they're uh, they're Ohio State. But some of the, the the bad Big Ten teams, they play a couple easy games early in the season. Um, he, he didn't rack it up all versus one opponent. He was never below 4.3 yards per carry versus any opponent the whole season, which is remarkable to me. He didn't have a bad game. But his best single game was against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl. He had 9.7 yards of carry. He did have four touchdowns and 211 yards in another game. But but the Clemson game, he had like 18 carries for, I don't remember what it was, 160 yards or something, 170 yards. And... Uh, that was just an outstanding game. So it's it's you know he played some of his best ball against the best opponents. I, I I think a lot of that is on him. The the Ravens sorry last year, I've looked at various sources for this. But if you look at his yards after contact, uh, he had about 1,200 of his 
of his 2,000 yards after contact. You get slight differences by source. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was on just under, or was it just over? But anyways, approximately four yards for Yakko per rush. So his yards after contact per rush was four. You look at the at the spread, and this is in the PFF guide, which, by the way, I highly recommend. Um, the PFF guide shows him by gap where he's running, and, and he's you know he's got fantastic totals. Absolutely every single hole he's taking, inside, outside. So you know he's a slasher. He he has speed to go to the edge. He can do a lot of the things that you know the Ravens want. You mentioned the home run hitting, 31 carries of 15 plus yards, uh, led the country in mm-hmm. in that set. Or we'll let it was second, one or the other. Um, uh, but that's a that's a remarkable total in a in a college season of 15 plus yard carries. Yeah, Ken, it, he does jump off the page when you start looking at some of these statistics. Um, one thing to note, and it's uh, another convenient, I guess, thing given his position. But he had a really heavy workload um, in college, almost 800 touches, and um, luckily running back. I mean, I guess not lucky for them, but luckily for maybe us, uh, he's probably just a one contract player. Usually doesn't make sense to sign a uh, running back for an extended uh, you know, second contract at a high price point. But uh, hopefully that wear and tear doesn't hit us during his rookie contract. Right. And that, that uh, obviously the Ray race contract didn't work out for a couple different reasons uh, in terms of his second deal. But he showed signs of breaking down in the final year of his contract. I would expect Dobbins to be a one contract player and hopefully they'll they'll really get value from him. I normally say that a second round pick is too high for a one contract player. But if you're going to do it, go ahead and do it at running back, I guess, where you're at least getting a highly concentrated amount of value. Um, you know, one of the things you mentioned was how quickly will he get in the game? And I think that this is a case where. Uh, one of the real obstacles is going to be getting him to understand and work with Lamar on the on the mesh point. That's a that's an advantage of Ingram that's enormous. Edwards had trouble with that in his rookie year. There were a lot of fumbles, and it wasn't Edwards getting the fumbles primarily. It was mostly them being charged to Lamar. But there were problems with the mesh point that that were involved in some of those. So it's something that that the uh, Ravens will have to get cleaned up pretty quickly. Hopefully, these guys can maybe spend some time together before camp because they're not going to have all the mini camp opportunities to do that. Yeah. Hopefully they all meet up in Florida or something. <laughs> I don't know what, what this year is going to look like, but uh, it's going to take some extra effort. I think from the player side to get up to speed for sure. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that um, Jackson has been working out with, with the Browns has mm-hmm. been a good thing in terms of, of his own, maintenance of, of of what he's doing certainly so that's uh you know obviously some work with Dobbins would be terrific you probably want to have somebody there that the Ravens trust but is not technically a Ravens employee to to kind of be overseeing <laughs> how that mesh point is going but but you know Dobbins is a is a take it and go guy and it it forces a running back to be very patient and wait for blocks to slow down his action to maybe 50% of its normal speed through the mesh point and then allow Jackson to take the ball back from him if he comes out hard. And Ingram said, you know, he's fine with it. He can take it as late as he wants as long as he comes out strong with it. He can't come out he can't come out weak with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as long as Jackson's maintaining two hands on the football, that is absolutely freezing the defense, creating times for double teams to occur, and that edge defender is usually lost in space on exactly that time. So that's what they're looking to do. Dobbins himself doesn't have any run blocking 
um, uh, responsibilities that come out of this. Not not any really. Uh, most of his uh, responsibilities are just in terms of making the fake itself and and mm-hmm. staying in the mesh point. So uh, uh, it'll be exciting, and and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing him play in Baltimore. I think he brings a lot to the offense. Um, I I don't have tremendous problems, but I'm going to make another organizational comment here. They've spent now 47% of the capital at inside linebacker, and then they also got Dobbins, who's a running back, another position where they'd economized very effectively. So this there won't be necessarily a big expenditure of cap dollars on Dobbins, but it certainly is a big expenditure in terms of draft capital. And uh, and it's something that, that uh, you know, when I see a pick like this, I usually know the Ravens love the guy. When they take up a, a guy who's who's not at a position of need, they see a significant value opportunity. Yeah, Ken, I think they're going for it all this year, man. Like it, these picks screamed, we are going to make our football team better immediately. Um, even though some of them do have long-term potential, I'm not trying to take that away. Um, but this is this is plugging every single hole, uh, except for probably edge rusher, like we talked about. Every single other hole that they saw, they were plugged in a way that they thought was the correct way to go. Um, I think we'll talk about that with the wide receivers. Not not so sure, <laughs> personally, but uh, they they're definitely um, they seem very very confident. And a lot of writers, like every single writer, is just screaming how well the Ravens did this draft. So don't listen to them. I know. Make, make your own judgments. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, every single writer is just like dancing around about how well the Ravens did, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think. It was like I said, it was different than I expected, but um, it's starting to warm up to me. So, do you want to go to the next guy? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll introduce him, uh, Justin Justin Madibuke, uh from Texas A and M. Now I've seen that phonetic pronunciation, accent on the first syllable, Madibuke. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's incorrect or not, but I've I've heard it pronounced a lot of different ways on air, but that I believe to be the correct one based on on what I've been researching online. Anyway, Texas A&M defensive tackle, 6'3", 293, 33-and-a-half-inch arms, very good for a defensive tackle. That's that's quite long for a guy his size. The thing that really jumps out on tape, and I watched, I, you know, I happened to be lucky, I watched uh, Tyree Phillips play left tackle for Mississippi State, and they happened to be playing Texas A&M, and he got Matabuke um, a fair amount, uh, about six or seven times during the game he got him. But Matabuke, extremely quick. Extremely mm-hmm. quick, 48340, 737 three cone, 31 reps uh, with long arms is truly exceptional. We'll get into this with a few players as we go through that longer arms have have trouble with the uh, with the reps on the on the 40. Definitely has the potential to be a very explosive uh, player at the NFL level. You know, if the Ravens have taken their shot at getting an explosive three tech that a lot of other teams covet, and and might have just a great gamble. At number 71, in my opinion. Yeah, Ken, Matabuke is now becoming my favorite pick from the whole draft. Uh, he was a former five-star recruit. Like you said, more athleticism than you would expect. And, um, yeah, as I started looking into him, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we might actually have a defensive tackle who can create some pressure. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, one one knock is that uh, he can sometimes take a playoff, right, and he needs to work on his technique. But, um he seems coachable. I love the fact that he was just sobbing when he got picked. I, I, I don't know. It was hard not, not to get emotional watching him. He seems just so happy and so uh, pleased to be coming to the Ravens organization. And candidly, Ken, I don't think there's a better place he could go. He's going to learn 
from some of the best, from Clayus Campbell, Derek Wolf, um, Brandon Williams. It was critical, critical this year that they drafted an even the tackle, even though it wasn't a need because of how old that line is. And I, I think Justin Matabuke might have been the best person to follow the Ravens. Yeah, he's a he's definitely an outstanding pick. He's the pick I like best in the entire draft. Um, he, uh, he, we talk about the under guys on stunts, and Matabuke is is extremely quick. Probably, you know, there's things he can improve at the pro level. He can use his hands better. I think he's gonna, you know, he's gonna get that from Campbell. But I already see all the characteristics I really want in a two-way stunt player, two-way twist player, which means he can be the under guy who is too quick, gets in gaps, and, and already your guys are at, your two linemen are at 45-degree angles. When one has to peel off, Matibuke will have an outstanding advantage against the one guy remaining on. It's kind of like when there's two guys at a 45-degree angle on you, nobody's blocking you, really, <laughs> or nobody's blocking you effectively, so being the stun under guy. But here's the real, here's the kicker. Is Matiboka is he's so quick that he can be the over guy as well, the looper. So uh, you know he's he's a guy that is going to give other offensive teams just absolute fits trying to get him blocked within the Ravens system. And you you mentioned you know, taking plays off. I don't know that I really saw that in the in the game I watched. I just happened to be lucky. I was watching T- Tyree Phillips of Texas, sorry of uh, Mississippi State last night play against Texas A and M, and and Matibuke, uh, he wrote, he just was unbelievably quick, jumped off the screen, particularly in the first half in terms of what he did defensively. Um, but he's going to play less snaps at the NFL level. And Harbaugh doesn't tolerate it, even if if uh, Martindale does in terms of taking some snaps off. They're going to figure out how to reduce his snaps more if he does. So he, he'll, he'll I think he'll play initially more as a pass rusher, less as a three tech. He'll probably play, you know, less than 30% of the snaps as a rookie, just because that's the way it often works, and the Ravens are pretty set on the interior. Um, but you know, he's he should come in and give the defense a complete jolt when he does come in. Agreed, and that's actually one of the beauties of uh, just Wink Martindale and the fact that the defensive line is pretty stacked at this point. He doesn't have to come in every play. You know, <laughs> he he can he can cut when he comes in. He can be extremely effective. I'm really curious to see what it means for his formal teammate, uh, Daylon Mack. Um, I'm starting to wonder if he's going to even find a roster spot this year. It's very crowded. Um, between the defensive line being very crowded and now running back being very crowded, um, I'm, I'm extremely curious. I haven't started yet, but I'm, I want to draft a depth chart. <laughs> I'm already starting to wonder how all these players can fit. Right. Well, already, you know, as we were watching the draft, it's like, how do you fit in the extra guys, whether it's Stone or, you know, the extra safety they may have or all the special teams players? I mean, they carried six safeties last year um, or, or the defensive linemen or at running back in terms of two extra roster spots. But it's like we gave that roster, that extra two roster spots away about five times just watching the draft in terms <laughs> of, uh, of where they might uh, address it. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, exciting player. So let's, uh, I guess, move on at this point. You want to introduce the next guy? Yeah, so the Ravens were thrilled about this guy. Uh, there's a viral clip already of Harbaugh you know, punching the air in excitement. Devin DuVernay out of Texas, wide receiver, uh, 5'10", 200 pounds. Um, it looks like the Ravens are just obsessed with these smaller speed guys, uh, which is completely different than what you and I talked about on the wide receiver predictions. <laughs> um, so they're definitely uh, zigging when we thought they would zag. And yeah, I like Devin DuVernay. I actually like him quite a bit. I just thought 
for he wasn't what the Ravens were looking for, but apparently that's exactly what they were looking for. He was their guy. Yeah, they they you know one of the things Sacosta mentioned is that you know he's a very muscular guy, very tough guy, breaks a lot of tackles. So that's everybody loves that. You know, a, a good guy is good at the at contesting catches. But you know, despite the fact he ran four thirty nine, which is obviously very exceptional straight line speed, his three cone um, and his jumps don't really portray that shifty receiver you'd like to be your slot guy. So you'd like you know to have Wes Welker or change of direction ability. But the tape is another matter. He just he definitely does do more in terms of shiftiness on tape than he does in terms of his measurables. And I think you know the Ravens. Went with the eye test, went with the tape test again over the, the, the combine measurables in that particular area. 105 receptions last year, 42 on screen passes, and he averaged just 6.0 yards per reception on those catches. Now I'm getting to I'm getting to a point here. Um, I think that will improve with. Uh, I, I'm sorry, that's that's not his overall yards per reception. The point I want to make is that his overall yak per reception, and now I'm talking yak per reception was 6.8. Normally on screen passes, they're taken behind the line of scrimmage on average, and your yak per reception would be more than 6.8 on those 42 plays. So they contributed probably to what that total yak was. But he also probably was right around 6.0 or maybe slightly under on other pass plays, which is good, but it's behind the top speed receivers and deep threats in the class. You have some of the guys at the top of the class were over 10 yards, uh, 10 yak per reception. And then you had players who, who had more similar roles, like LaVisca Chenault, um, who were at 7.5 yards a yak per reception. So, I, you know, I think he's he's going to be a good guy. You know, the, the amount of tackle breaking he did, I would have even expected it to result in more yak per reception. But uh, but he should be exciting. He should be very tough to bring down in the open field. And, and I think despite his size at 5'11", 200, he should have – some ability to block in level two and level three because he's a thick, mm-hmm. muscular guy, and, and that's going to be an important part of his his contribution to the run game. You brought him up. I do feel like he's starting to look, to me, like a poor man's LaVisca Chenault in this draft. We got him in a much later um, round, but he still has that just muscular, almost running back build um, whilst uh, you know playing the receiver position. And he could use them in some gadget formations. Uh, we saw a little bit of that in college. Um, one of the things, I mean, you mentioned it, everything that went his way, he caught. I can't stop talking about that. Just hugely productive in college. Led the country in catches. catches. But he did struggle against press coverage, right? And I think you, you saw sometimes he would round out his routes. So these are really some of the things that he'll have to focus on um, to, to take it to the next level uh, in the NFL. I think with his size, he's just going to always struggle in 50-50 balls. That's just not what his uh, um, his strong suit will be. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish with your last point because I completely agree with that. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to steal it from you. <laughs> uh, you know, him as a player, I think we'll, we'll, I think we'll be satisfied by him by the fact that I think Roman will do a very good job of of folding him into the cake so to speak in terms of, of uh, figuring out how to use him, get him in space, and you know, it just becomes another nightmare in terms of trying to figure out which fast guy you cover, who's going to get the ball in the end. And, you know, they have enough trouble at the line of scrimmage coming out of these read and just figuring out whether it's the running back or Jackson who has the ball, at least the whole 11. Some some guys know, unfortunately, and are already beaten. But, you know, this is a good opportunity for, for to get another guy in there who can have the ball. Organizationally, my, my comment on this pick is that 
The Ravens have a huge stable now of slot ponies, but they really failed to pick up another big receiver. And, you know, is that is it completely unexpected? Those guys are highly sought after. So Higgins and Mims and uh, Claypool went very early and LaVisca Chenault, um, you know, all, they all really went pretty early after the big three slipped a little. The remainder of the guys all got taken pretty early, and it was, you know, the Ravens' choice to go to Dobbins in particular at 55 was one that kind of kept, and maybe Matabuke also in terms of of not getting a receiver. I love that pick. I wouldn't have have made another pick for a receiver, but uh, it might have kept them from uh, from taking a bigger receiver at that point, forgetting who exactly was on the board. But Claypool still, I believe Claypool, no, he was gone. He was like 49. So there may may not have been even an opportunity by that point. Anyway, they need Boykin to take a step forward big time. He's a great yeah. he's the one really great blocker they have at wide receiver. They have other guys who are okay. Sneed is pretty good and maybe maybe the, the two guys they got and Duvernay in particular can be a good blocker, but um if if they don't, you know, they they've ended up with a couple smaller guys on the field on a lot of plays which could really hurt the running game. Yeah, the, I just remember when we were watching Ken that the second round wide receivers that we were just they're just bleeding. The only guy left uh, when we got the 55 that I was particularly thrilled about uh, my topper tier was Mims. Right. So, um, yeah, every single one uh, otherwise had fallen off. And then I actually I tweeted at one of my friends, uh, DuVernay. Um, I think Tyler Johnson might have still been available. And oh, yeah, um, I forget. I forget the one other player. I had on my list. I was like, these are the these are my next three. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Uh, and then sure enough, the next pick was DuVernay. So. Yeah, I I think, like you said, Boykin's going to have to step up this year. Otherwise, um, maybe they bring in a uh, a veteran, you know, some some kind of late cut uh, to kind of fill that void. I heard some people mentioning, um, oh, just just blanked on him, the Eagles uh, wide receiver. Uh, Aguilar? Uh, uh, no, Al, uh, Johnson. Uh, Alshon, uh, or no. Uh, uh, Jeffries. Alshon Jeffries. Yeah, Jeffries. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, the Eagles obviously have a lot of wide receiver talent coming out of this draft. So some of the guys, you know, that that were there are probably not going to be there next year. And I, I don't know if they re-signed Aguilar already. He had kind of a bad year last year, but he was a guy that I would have maybe taken a chance on at wide mm-hmm. receiver in terms of like filling out the Ravens' room, which is depleted. So both these guys are going to make the team. I mean, already right out of right out of here, we can tell you that Duvernay and, and Proch are both making the team. There's there's not any doubt about that. Um, but anyway, there's, there is a question about uh, about how much they'll play as rookies. Uh, Duvernay, I expect to play a lot, but he's competing for snaps with Snead. He's competing for snaps perhaps in a way with Brown. But Brown and Boykin, I expect to step up in terms of snaps. I expect Snead, I guess, to take a normal number of snaps, not more than he did before. But if they find out he's the guy they really want in there in the run game, he might get more um, slot snaps than he has before. And, you know, I think it's very open still whether the Ravens will play a lot of 11 personnel and three wide receiver formations because they've appreciated having the extra blocker, whether that's a tight end or a fullback in the box, rather than, um, uh, you know, forcing the other team to react with their six guys to the Ravens 11 personnel. So they really like to like to have an extra like to have an extra blocker, despite the fact it gives the the defense and extra defender in the box. All right. Let's let's move on. Yep. 
All right. So let's see, number 98, Malik Harrison from Ohio State. This was the pick that just kind of knocked me off my my seat. I didn't really <laughs> I kind of I kind of thought that Patrick Queen was was a very high probability at 28, even though I might have gone a different way. But the the inside linebacker pick, the doubling up by taking Malik Harrison number 98 is just really strange. So 6'4", 247, he's got a good combine across the board with an exceptional three-cone time if you look at that. So that's good change of direction skills. Definitely a run stopper first. Um, he's over his time at Ohio State. He's reduced his missed tackle rate. Um, and, I, you know, every scouting report will basically tell you the same thing, even though there's one particular interception shows up on every highlight reel. Uh, reel. He's not a coverage asset at all. Uh, you know, and he's a guy who has been very self-effacing about that in terms of an interview he did. Um, but but I, I do expect him to be a guy who gets replaced by the dime back in, um, in, in typical passing situations. Yeah, he's definitely a more downhill player um, compared to Queen and um, not as good in coverage. He's instinctive. Uh, he definitely imposes uh, his size and, and crushes ball carriers as they come across. Uh, he also crushed the combine, which uh, kind of raised the stock across many. A lot of people see Malik Harrison as one of the, the biggest value picks uh, right up there with uh, uh, Matabuke as far as uh, you know, f- kind of falling to the Ravens and, and being a super high value at the place we got him. Um, but that said, um, yeah, it's just this was a, a very surprising pick, particularly at this point. Uh, the Ravens had not addressed um, offensive line. There was a couple people, I believe, on the board at that time. Uh, that we identified that would have been um, useful for the Ravens. Uh, and, yeah, we were kind of surprised by that pick. Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit of a shocker. And, uh, you know, something is telling me that Harrison is going to get additional snaps of a, a certain type. Now, here's here's what, I, what I'm going to start with is Harrison did not have uh, – sorry, the Ravens did not get an edge player in this draft. And that means they didn't get an edge rusher, which everybody wanted, of course. But my other thing I wanted was an edge setter so they would have somebody, you know, basically constraining that edge and making sure it was taken. Harrison might be a guy who could play that role or affect that role even from the inside linebacker spot. So you basically can have him go to one side on certain plays, play with only one standing inside linebacker in the middle, and Harrison effectively extends the line of scrimmage and creates an edge on one side. It's also been suggested Harrison could take some uh, take some snaps even in a three-point stance on passing downs that you might actually be able to set him up as a pass rusher, which is a very interesting idea, um, not impossible. And I go back to a, a very similar player in Ravens history. I think the most similar player to Malik Harrison people are going to find is Jamie Sharper. Drafted in 1997 in the second round. By the way, Jamie Sharper, before your time? No, I remember Jamie. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was so watching you... I was watching for the first Super Bowl. That was like right when I was getting into football. So okay. I remember him well. Okay, Sh- Sharper evolved tremendously over his time with the Ravens. So he was he started almost every game, 80 games. I believe he started 79, and he played every game uh, during his uh, tenure with the Ravens, which was terrific. But he evolved really being, from being a pure two-down player and staying that way all the way through the 2000 season, where you know he was off the field a fair amount. I think he might have played about 70% of the snaps that year. Um, and it wasn't until 2001 
that they changed their packages to, to find a way to get him on the field on third down. All of a sudden, six sacks and 12 passes defensed in 2001 for the Ravens. And he did, he did everything that year. He was, uh, he was a guy who could drop in and, and handle some zone coverage, but he just learned that the switch went on and he learned what was going on in terms of things going on behind him. Uh, he did a great job actually as a, as a, uh, taking some snaps out of a three-point stance that year, but but being a fourth uh, guy, and they're playing a 32-dime, which is a little weird. Dallas has played some of it in recent years, but it's kind of unusual to have three down linemen with your dime and two linebackers, and, and he would make up for that by occasionally being a down lineman or usually being at the line of scrimmage to rush the passer, thus the, you know, the good sack totals that year, but really had a fantastic year. And then the Ravens, of course, lost him in the expansion draft immediately. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I remember being disappointed by that. Yeah, Jamie Sharper is an incredible comp. If uh, we, if if uh, Malik has that kind of tra- tra- trajectory for his career, that'd be uh, thrilling for the Ravens, particularly with Queen next to him. Um, and I guess to kind of touch on that point about him blitzing, that was something I also read. Ken is that uh, you know we didn't get an edge rusher, but Malik Harrison is quite exceptional at uh, at just have that instinct for rushing the quarterback and uh, potentially could slot in there. So um, we'll see. Definitely, although a surprising pick, uh, could provide a lot of value to the Ravens. Um, and very curious to see how they kind of integrate him alongside Queen. Yeah, it's, it definitely is a lot of ways they, they could use him. And, and I know Martindale, because of who he is, is going to have way more ways to use him than we think of it. So, you know, part of it I looked at, and we're going to do a separate show on this specific topic that, that uh, uh, you mentioned earlier, Alec, is, is we're going to talk about uh, different packages that will change because of who the Ravens drafted. But Malik Harrison, I, I'm just guessing there's a, there's a lot of ways that Martindale will find to use him that are not exactly what we would, we would expect. Um, but... Uh, but there certainly are some packages that are going away for the Ravens based on, <laughs> on who they got in this draft. And I think that'll make an interesting show. So we want to want to make sure we do that. Yeah. So last pick of the third round, the last comp pick, uh, th- this is a mostly comp pick, right? Yeah. Was uh, Tyree Phillips, offensive tackle in college from Mississippi State. Now, a lot of people are seeing him moving over to guard um, and, and competing. Everyone can't. No, no one wants to think about the idea of us just completely changing the middle of the line. Have you noticed this, Ken? It's all yeah. about Yonda leaving, even though like you could totally <laughs> juggle that whole line at this point. Um, so I, I think there's there's more at play here. Uh, but yeah, Tyree Phillips, uh, he's a physical beast, right? 6'5", 345, monster man, huge arms, at three, uh, 35.125. Uh, I mean, he, he's just a big guy. Now, when I was doing my comparison, I thought he was going to be the kind of the Hurst replacement. A uh, little bit of flexibility to have play at the tackle position in case of an injury. Andre Smith's time in Baltimore is uh, you know shortened. <laughs> um, yeah. But but you don't you don't see it that way. And uh, I, I love to hear your opinion because I I defer offensive line to you for sure. <laughs> well, I I you know appreciate that. Thanks thanks for that. But um, he's a very unsculpted guy. He's carrying a lot of what I would consider to be bad weight. And he's, he, you know, what was surprising to me is he's a very technical left tackle. So I watched the the, the game I, I mentioned, the Mississippi State and Texas A&M guy, game, to really to watch him. And I saw a lot of other players who were, were interesting in this. Um, but Tyree Phillips from Mississippi State was at left tackle. And Tyree Johnson, with two E's, 
was at defensive end and a, really a stand-up outside linebacker for Texas A&M. And, and they had a matchup that was very distinctly won by Tyree Phillips that day. Um, Phillips had a, a great uh, use of his length is something you really notice is he goes to the armpits of the defenders on a fair number of pass snaps. And that just, that will, that ends it right there is that he's, he's he literally great hand placement, gets his arms exactly where you're supposed to inside the um, armpit of the opposing players with attached to the Jersey. And that guy can't move at all. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost looked like there were a lot of brother-in-law snaps that were being played. Now it was really never a close game. 49 to 30 was the final score. So, you know, both teams did a little bit of scoring, but the, the uh, Texas A&M was up 28 to seven early, 14 to nothing before that. So it really was never a close game, but I, I, Tyree Phillips just, he had a very impressive game in terms of his individual pass blocking reps, making that first contact, dictating it and not really giving any ground. So he didn't, I mean, it wasn't like he got bull rushed into the quarterback on any plays, although that's something I've heard as, as, as being a potential issue going forward. But he, he used his arms very effectively to lock on, and, and you know, then we had this weird brother-in-law play. I don't know if that's really more a function of Tyree Johnson, who's only a sophomore, playing against him. But he's he wears number three for Texas A&M. What that typically means to me, if a college player wears a single-digit number, He's negotiated that as part of the recruiting process often, or he's <laughs> earned that from his teammates, and it usually means it's a very good player. But he was a sophomore, and so he's he's a you know he's a 23 year old guy or whatever, a 22 year old guy, I guess at that point, not quite 23, who's competing against a but probably a 19 year old guy and looking very effective. So there was some grown man differences mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on. Did not look like he had any of the um, ability to move versus speed and and there were there were several different plays that, yeah. that that happened he got fanned out by speed once which left an inside rusher completely free um they, they did have some simplification of the system for him that uh, he was doing some of the things orlando brown does in terms of down blocking and letting an edge rusher go on a few plays and uh, and that's something mississippi state has had a running quarterback so they were they were doing some of that um uh with him uh uh terrible combine for tyree mm-hmm. phillips you want to talk about that? Uh, I didn't actually write down notes about that other than the fact that I heard it was terrible. Um, <laughs> so uh, I will say one of the things that I noticed in his film was his lack of lateral agility, uh, which made him a concern for the level two blocks that the Ravens were uh, you know, so so known for last year. Right. Um, so that was uh, that was something I noticed when I was doing some evaluation of him. Right. One of the things that shows up in the scouting reports, but I didn't really see it on tape in this game, is that he's very susceptible to the bull rush, that he that he he sets up too high and whatnot. I mean, I didn't really notice that at all. I noticed a guy who used his arm legs so exceptionally well to get to the armpit that he didn't really give anybody a chance to get going. And obviously, you know, there's this grown man difference against Tyree Johnson that was that was really showing up. But it was it. it it's something that if he's at guard, he's going to get a bigger man, lower center of gravity, and he's really going to have to continue to use his arms well, but he's also going to have to play with a lower base on the inside. And obviously, I think the Ravens must feel like they can fix that because it was not an economical pick. Let me talk about value and economy as I define them in here. So a value pick is when you when you get somebody later than everybody else think he's, thinks he's going to be drafted or later then he should be drafted. Let's put it that way. It's probably the more mm. important. That's a value pick. An economical pick is when nobody really likes the guy and and you get him 
uh, late and where you're supposed to. It's an uneconomical pick when you take even a good player way early than anybody else would have. So last year, an uneconomical pick would have been Cleveland Farrell taken at number four by the Raiders because nobody had him above about 13th to 15th. So Mayock was crazy not to try and extract draft value and move back at least five to ten spots or five to seven spots, let's say. He was mm-hmm. certainly still gotten his guy, and he would have picked up some draft capital even if he, quote-unquote, lost the trade. So yeah. you know, even if you're going to trade away for half of the value, somebody's got to want to do it for that. And he says, tried like hell, but I just couldn't get it done. And then he takes him, and it's just same thing, the uneconomical pick in round one. There are several of them, but Arnett, tremendously uneconomical pick. I mean, if you're the Raiders and you mm-hmm. want Arnett, I, I, I respect that. Move back 15 spots and get him. I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> you, you, you had the opportunity. Trade the freaking pick. Don't, don't just sit <laughs> on it. So um, anyway, that's the difference there. Tyree Phillips, I would I would call a not particularly economical pick because I don't think there were a lot of teams out there that really liked him that much. He didn't project in any mocks that I've seen to be anywhere near this high. He's more like a fifth round player on a lot of people. Yeah. And I look at other guys who project to the interior line that are already playing there, like Michael Longueno, um of Michigan, you know, would have been another similar guy in terms of a lot of things, height, weight, and and um Length are very similar, right? not quite as long, but he's over 34 inches, uh, I believe, might be 35 for a bueno. Um It just, I, I, it, it's surprising to me moving this guy to guard that you would need to use pick 106 on him. I think they probably could have had him at 143. Was my my immediate reaction. That's potentially true, Ken. I will note there was just a chasm of, uh, you know almost uh, 40 picks there between 37 picks between when we picked Phillips and when we picked our next guy uh, at 143. And if I'm looking at the chart right now, it does seem like about eight to 10, uh, just quickly glancing offensive linemen went in that time period. Uh, So maybe they were worried that uh, he would go, but um, definitely see what you're saying. Uh, I saw that too, when I looked at, because he was candidly a guy I had not heard of before. Uh, when I was looking at his uh, evaluations, a lower round uh, prospect, but got at the I, I want, too. I want to talk about him a little more, but I want you to look something up for me while I'm doing this. And, and take a look at the guys who were drafted between 106 and 143. How many of them were pure tackles, kind of projected to play tackle in the NFL? So guys like, mm-hmm. I don't know where Ben Barch made, uh, went, but he was a, you know, a guy yeah, from St. Went, John's. Or, he went in between, yep, 116. Take, take a look for me and, and then maybe comment on this after I make the comment here. Okay. While we're while we're doing this, so you know, Tyree Phillips. Uh, one of the things that he's really been questioned about is whether or not he's got the mobility to play guard. And I, I think the questions are still there. But he did have five level two blocks in the game I watched, and included one where they schemed to get him a level two block. They actually pulled him into the middle of the line. So I I, I was happy to see that. Uh, he was a little bit better. Very positional blocker. In fact, from Ravens history, the guy he reminds me of is Willie Anderson, that he looks to, to get position. He does not finish blocks. Now, this is something, you know, uh, Orlando Brown Jr., his father got on him in terms of not being physical enough and beating up the opponent and threatening to leave a game. You know, there's a famous uh, question about that, but uh, or comment about that. But, but Tyree Phillips, um, at his size, he should really be making the effort to get the opposing player angry at him. I want to see him be nasty. I want to see the opponent get upset. I want to see the opponent get an occasional flag. And I want him to show every evidence of being tired. Because 
a pissed off lineman is a tired lineman. I guarantee you. So just, <laughs> just go ahead, keep pushing the guy around, lean on him. I mean, he didn't finish a pancake, and he really had opportunities in this game uh, to, to do so. I mean, it's just he needs to do more in that area. So he's a he's a he's a monster of a man who I would really like to see fi- finish more blocks. So Ken uh, had a chance to look up all. Uh, these guys and make sure they were projected to play guard. But listed as offensive tackles, you had uh, Shadig Charles, Ben Barch, Charlie Heck, and Cameron Clark as uh, the four that went in between the two picks. Okay, so that's a, a fairly significant group, and maybe they would have gotten to Phillips and taken him during that time. So we got to be careful about that. From what I saw, I think it is possible Phillips, Phillips could be the emergency tackle still, particularly on the right side, but he does lack a lot of the quickness you want. Given how the Ravens in particular have used that uh, Orlando Brown to do a lot of down blocking in the run game, I think he gets you through a game uh, on the right side if you need him there. So uh, you want to talk about the next guy? Can bring him up. Yeah, so um, this guy is getting applauded by many. Ben Bredesen of Michigan, guard, uh, 6'5", 320 pounds. Uh, but really short arms at uh, 31.125. Uh, so we got our, our Patrick McCary comp here, right? Um, quite the difference, right, between him and Phillips. Completely different. Uh, but the thing that everyone wants to talk about about this guy is apparently he's got a photographic memory <laughs> is exceptionally smart. So um, I'm, I'm seeing center. That's what I was reading when I hear that. Yeah, he'd be a huge center, and I think that would that would probably make a lot of sense to reduce the impact of that arm length. I mean, Patrick McCary, by by comparison, is a half inch longer arms. <laughs> right. and, you know, you know how I, I I go through you know play by play, and I see this. And Patrick McCary had a lot of missed blocks last year, which are zero in my scoring system. Uh, they didn't lead to necessarily a bad event, but they most of them are a high percentage of his misses came with the action verb shed in my offensive line scoring notes. And that means, you know, a longer arm player is taking advantage of McCary's either desire to lunge or being able to, to knock his arms away um, before he can make contact with the body or, or, or without making useful contact with the body. So uh, McCary's, you know, limitations there. Um, Bredesen has them in spades as well. So, you know, he's, he's a fairly good pass blocker. And by the way, McCary, was that as well at Cal in terms of being a guy who could play left tackle with those toothpick arms. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and Yanda played obviously with shorter arms as well, not that short. But, you know, it, it's a serious concern anywhere on the offensive line, but it's probably less of a concern at center. I also want to see consistent reporting on that because uh, McCary, there's one one uh, individual article that says his arms were 35 and 5 eighths. Now we know that's that's complete BS, but but uh, uh, you know arm like this is wildly misreported, and I think what it is is differences in how it gets measured from place to place. There was also a, a report at one point that I saw that had Matt Skura with 35 inch arms. So you know it's just they're all over the place in terms of 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 how they're done, which tells to me that they're they're probably trying to measure the same thing. Um, they're just not doing it from the same place. Yeah, I, I got in trouble once uh, trying to measure my arms for a, a, a suit, a fitted uh, <laughs> So I'm familiar with the fact that <laughs> you can mess that one up. There's many places you can consider the start of the arm. <laughs> right, we've, we've talked about this, Alex, so you're getting married pretty soon. It's actually important for you, right? 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, it was actually for my friend who was supposed to get married in April. Uh, his, uh, we had to mail in a card of our, our lengths, and I measured, and it was incorrect. But they called me, and they're like, uh, I don't think these are right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right that they're not right. And then they were like, look in your wardrobe, and I, we figured it out. But uh, <laughs> All right, so there's alterations yeah. are always possible. That's good. <laughs> but uh, one thing I wanted to point out about uh, Branson is that he uh, is definitely a very strong uh, guard. He also looks for work when he gets disengaged. Um, and although he only has average athleticism and kind of limited lateral mobility. Um, I felt like he kind of made up for that with his effort, uh, just to kind of seeking out more, uh, physical, like, are you breaking up a little bit on here? We're going to let your sound kind of regenerate and it usually does. But, uh, but I, you know, I agree with the point in general that lateral mobility had really shown up in a way to pick up stunts and twists effectively. And so that's something that, that Ravens need a guy on the middle of the line who can do that well. I think Jackson creates a lot of opportunities for the for himself by people rushing themselves out of the play. Or a lot of opportunities are created for, by Jackson for players rushing themselves out of the play. But that doesn't mean you can't have anybody in the middle that that is – uh, threatening Jackson to move off the spot and that he can make a play out of anything. Uh, you know, he's remarkable, but you still can't have pressure up the middle on every single play. So if Bredesen is that guy that they want to put at center, or even if they want to play him at guard in the end, and they want to have him uh, be the designated uh, stunt and twist pickup guy and the blitz pickup guy, very important. Uh, I think he could bring value that way. And and I think there's a, I think there is a pretty good chance, as you mentioned, that center is where he ends up uh, with the Ravens, uh, maybe be a backup there this year and, and, uh, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, let's talk value for a second, because 143 is probably about where a lot of people had Bredesen going, but the guy I really liked, uh, you know, Michael Oweno, who was, who was the right guard as Bredesen was the left guard on that same Michigan line. At number 182, just seemed like extraordinarily better value that the Patriots got on Aueno than Bredesen. I like Aueno better just straight up. But even if you like mm. the intelligence of Bredesen and moving him to center and all that, um, I still think the value difference is so great that, that the Patriots did a lot better. Yeah, I, I do want to point out uh, that I did see one one scout mention that Bredesen was actually 65 on his board and very consistent in pass protection, and, and although not a mauler. Um, he thought that it was awesome value for the Ravens. So it's interesting to see how those uh, kind of compare across different people's boards. Yeah, that's that's very high for him. I mean, you know, Bredesen does not come with any kind of a run-blocking pedigree, and he's going to have to at least be able to pick up the back end of double teams, which he'll have to do a lot. Or maybe he's the guy who moves to level two, and it really depends on where he is and differences on a play-by-play basis. But, uh, you know, at, at right guard, if that's where he ends up, then he'll be he'll be a lot of times being helped out by Orlando Brown on a down block when they're when they have the read plays, and that's going to leave him with a with a with a block to make on a very advantaged basis. I expect he'll be able to do that. That really minimizes the impact of his short arms. So in some ways, putting him on that side makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, if he even in the middle though, uh, you know, Skura has done this very well over time, and it's an undervalued component is he holds the back end of double teams very well that gets set up for him. Uh, he also climbs well, but but he but he holds the back end very well, and uh, you know if Bredesen can do that, uh, you know as long as he's he 
can work well with another lineman to, to handle the double teams in the middle. That's what that's the bread and butter of the Ravens offense right there is trying to figure out how to do that. So even though he, he, he doesn't come with a good run blocking reputation at all, um, he does come with a good pass blocking reputation and you can maybe make up for some of his uh, weaknesses and some of the problems his arm length will give him um, in the in the run game. You want to introduce the next guy? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Broderick Washington of Texas Tech, um, a, a defensive tackle, uh, 6'3", 305, 32 and a half inch arms. Uh, he's big at 6'3", 305, but he's not really NFL huge, particularly for the defensive line. He's not a, a no, an obvious nose tackle guy, um, and, and he has otherwise unexceptionally physically he, he his length and strength aren't really great at 32 and a half inch arms he should be doing a little better in terms of the bench press the 23 reps on the defensive line so that's it's it's unexceptional it's not terrible but it's just unexceptional um he's he's had a weird career because he's he's played four years and he's virtually never come off the field for texas tech that t- tells you a little bit right there about big 12 defense and you know that they're 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 Definitely, a lot of the same players are playing all the downs there, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know they, they, Big Twelve obviously doesn't have a great reputation for defense. But he moved to the edge as a senior. Uh, obviously, he's going to be a two-down interior player at the NFL level, or at least that's what I would see. A, you know, a three-tech who won't really do a lot of pass rushing, and he's never he's never really produced as a pass rusher in his in his time at at uh, Texas Tech. Yeah, and I don't foresee that changing, Ken. I think. Although I read in a scouting report that he was a versatile D lineman, like you said, and played all the different techs, I don't foresee him going uh, much farther out than three. Um, and another thing to point out: not only was he a three-year starter, but he was a two-year team captain, um, mm-hmm. which is always great to see uh, from a any player. I I just don't see how he fits in with the Ravens. Um, he seems like a developmental, pro- del- developmental excuse me uh, project um, who I don't see making an impact this year. Hopefully, he can learn under you know, all the exceptional linemen we mentioned earlier. But um, this was probably the most surprising pick for me, uh, just looking at where they were on the board, uh, other players available, et cetera. Um, and although you know, he can be aggressive and physical in the trenches, um, I just I don't see him making an immediate impact at all. Right. I mean, I agree. I think that, that he's a guy who – uh, is is gonna he's gonna be challenged at the NFL level. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a new game for him. Um, developmental is the right word. Now here's the good news: the Ravens are old on the defensive line, so they can afford a developmental prospect. And I don't think that's what Matt Ibuke is at all. I think he can come in and do some things for the Ravens immediately. But Broderick Washington, I I, I go out on a limb here and predict that he's going to be redshirted fairly early in 2020. I don't I don't think they'll cut him because at number 170 you just never end up cutting that pick. It's not the Ravens' way, but but they probably will shut him down for the season. It might do it in camp, but even with the 55-man roster, if they keep him initially, they will need a roster spot for game day, and they will find out that he, they have to shut him down at some point, or he's not he's just not ready to perform this year. And so they'll they'll redshirt him and, and there'll be a mysterious practice injury that will occur um, <laughs> at some point. And, you know, it happened to Daylon Mack. Daylon Mack might have really been hurt, but he also might have been redshirted and just not really ready physically to play in the NFL. And, um, you know, he just he got eight snaps. I do not see Broderick Washington as a game day activation this mm-hmm. year. 
I, I, in fact, I'd put the over-under on game day acti- activations at probably one-half for him. So it's possible mm-hmm. they keep him on the roster uh, and, and they have him in there for one game at some point because they have some injuries. But I think otherwise, it's, it's unlikely he's going to get on the field this year. And, um, and you know, he's, he's a lottery ticket. He's, you know, people talk about the draft as lottery tickets, and that's BS. Uh, mm-hmm. it, particularly in the first round, it's just complete BS. But, but this guy is a lottery ticket. You know, they drafted him late. They didn't spend a ton of draft capital on him. And they're hoping for something. Uh, by the way, I understand uh, you mentioned this earlier in, in when we we're going over this in the pre-show kind of a production meeting, but uh, that uh, uh, is a very good uh, film and video done by uh, by Edgar Allen on Broderick Washington that made you feel a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> that that I did see. Um, and that was something that, uh, you know, it's good to see that uh, other people like these players. One thing I will note um, is the next two players were uh, pro football focus uh, Gordon's favorites back to back. They kind of one upped each other. So uh, and I, I, I was quite excited, too, for the last one. Um, but, yeah, that, that was kind of the only other uh, I don't know, peanut gallery opinions I had written down. <laughs> so go, go ahead and introduce Proch then. Yeah. So this guy, another another 5'11 speedster. Right. Uh, also from Texas. Apparently, uh, <laughs> we just were loving Texas this draft. Uh, a lot of players are coming from Texas. Um, pro, just he, to be clear, Proch is from SMU. He's from the state of Texas, but he's but he oh, played okay. a smaller program at SMU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing is kind of surprising given his size is that he actually high points the ball pretty well um, and has great hands. Another just hugely productive receiver in college. Um, and I think in a way, one of the things I mentioned my receiver show, I wanted somebody who was just productive, had confidence in when you threw it their way. And both of these receivers fit that bill. Um, and uh, another thing to note about uh, Prochet uh, is that he could immediately provide value in the return game. And he has experience there. Yeah. And, that, and, and at 201, I don't have a problem with using that pick on a return guy. You know, it's a it's a six round pick. Now, the unfortunate thing is. They actually used a fifth-round pick on it. We're going to get into that later. I, I, I don't want to get into too much of the value. Let's look at the player a little bit more. Um, I didn't see a 40 on him, but he's he's kind of known as being not a fast 40 guy. The Ravens had a return man a few years ago, Grant. I'm forgetting what his first name was, but everybody loved him, and he was everybody's darling during training camp. And then he got out on the field with his 464 speed or whatever it was. It wasn't exceptional speed. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be shifty, but – there's no being shifty with NFL players. You're, you, you need to be fast. And you, need to, you need to have uh, you know, speed that is better long speed than that as a returner. And then he had some fumbling problems, of course, and that ended his career very quickly. Um, but Proch, uh, 111 balls caught against SMU. Obviously, catching the football was something Harbaugh talked about. Um, but if you catch the football, presumably you won't be as, bit, as big a fumbler on returns. And so that's certainly a, you know, something to look at there. Slightly different skill set, but I think I still think you're more likely to field punts well uh, doing that. Now, there's more to it than that, and this is where I'm going to be really looking at Proch come camp, if we get a chance even, is what is his ability to get under punts and kickoffs quickly, catch the ball cleanly in the air, and really explode through the catch, avoid stupid mistakes like we saw out of Cyrus Jones, you know, picking up a ball on the ground and then fumbling it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's something I really look for when I go to camp is who's who do they have returning kicks and how much differentiation is there in terms of the players who really know what they're doing. Michael Campanero, you know, for for a couple of different camps was really the guy there who was just he was 
miles ahead of everybody else in terms of getting under the ball directly, exploding through that catch. And, you know, a lot of guys are just they're kind of feeling for the ball. They don't know exactly how to get to the proper depth, catch the ball right there. You know, you're catching the ball, backpedaling. That's a terrible start for mm-hmm. their kickoff or a punt return. So hopefully, uh, you know, approach with his experience is going to be better at that and going to be better at tracking the ball in the air, being in the proper spot right away and, and uh, exploding out of that. I do think that'll be a lot of his duties. And while I do see him as a game day activation, even in year one, that, uh, you know, he's probably not going to get that many opportunities as a receiver. And again, being a slot guy, he's, he's has a lot of competition there yeah. uh, for those, those particular snaps. Also, it'll be 24 in September. Yeah, he's going to have to make his uh, value known on special teams this year. I just don't see him breaking through into uh, the offensive uh, playbook at all. Um, another thing worth noting about him is um, he does have quick feet. He's tight out of his brakes, um, so that might be able to help, particularly with those first few steps right out of uh, catching the ball on a punt, for instance. And um, yeah, like you said, though, he doesn't have that home run speed. He, he won't separate. Uh, deep down the field, so he might be even a guy who gets caught from behind with the right players. Uh, but really, what you're looking for out of those uh, punt returns is just getting some positive yardage. Um, you know, the home runs nice, but they're so rare to begin with. Yeah, this is a team. They already have DeAndre Thomas, and I believe they've signed him uh, yeah, they again for this year. So, so now he's competing there. Grosh is a guy who I think probably beats out. Thomas because of his option value. So I think that mm-hmm. Thomas's roster spots in, in great jeopardy right now, uh, just because of the option value there. And I don't know how much money they've guaranteed to Thomas, but almost always a player in his rookie deal. Uh, you know, you have, a, I look at this as a four year declining option. You have, you have value in that option that's greatest in your rookie year. And so you get more, um, slack cut in terms of, of, you know, their desire to keep you and whatnot. And, you know, players like, uh, Scott, has gotten two years of slack cut for him, and the first year he didn't make the, he didn't make the roster at a terrible camp, but they just IR'd him and they kept him around. The second year he made the team, but he, but he almost never got activated. And I think he might have had one catch uh, the whole year, might have come against the Steelers, or might have been in another game. But um, you know now he's facing his third year, and he doesn't have that option value, or doesn't have nearly as much of it anymore uh, because he's only around for two years. So if he can't use him this year. You can't really wait to use him in year four, but but you can see the difference there for a player like Proach coming into his first camp is going to get a lot of slack cut for him. So I, I think he makes the, makes the team, and I think, honestly, it means the spot for somebody like DeAndre Thomas is in a lot more jeopardy. Yeah, I really agree with that, Ken. Go to the last guy? Ab- absolutely. You want to set him up? I've got a lot to say about him. Yeah, I'm Gino Stone, safety out of Iowa. Um, he was one of the players we talked about in our uh, draft recap on Ravens recap safety. Who's just really smart and where he lacks speed, you know, only a, a four six two at the combine. Uh, he makes up for with just the instinct. He's the first guy to start flying to the ball. Right. Uh, I saw someone compare it. Now we're, we're not trying to compare a seventh round pick to Ed Reed, but the, the notion was that Ed wasn't the fastest guy either. But the, the reason he was so great is because he just, he started moving there faster. He was he was a, a first a quick responder, um, and and that's something that excites me. Uh, just overall football IQ is, is quite high. Um, I think the concern is that you might be getting him already at a uh, uh, his uh, overall uh, floor to ceiling, 
And um, we'll, we'll see. He's going to have to make his bacon again. Yet uh, yet again, these later round players have to really make uh, an impact on special teams uh, to be able to then grow into maybe becoming some kind of valuable, valuable player uh, for the defense. Okay. So Geno Stone, I think, frankly, absurdly, was graded as the 53rd best player in the draft by PFF. Okay. Oh, wow. And, and, and it's, it's just it's beyond uh, silliness in a way. So when I was looking, I, you know, I came out very strongly that the Ravens have a big need for a back-end safety uh, you know, to play basically dime snaps. They had Carr there last year. He did, I thought, a very good job playing the back end, but they need a replacement for Carr. And, and just to, to bring people back, I mean, Clark plays a dime on those snaps, so they don't have him for the back end. I mean, they could use him, I suppose, on the back end, but they didn't because they had Carr, and they, and they really need another good back end safety because Thomas is getting older, and it may be after this year Thomas is done, or it may be after one more year, but I don't think Thomas is going to play his entire four-year contract with the Ravens. So they really need a top-end safety for the back end. I wanted either McKinney or Delpit with the very first pick at number 28. Um, McKinney was, was, he was available. So I, you know, he was the guy I was really hoping they would have taken at 20. It would have been going against need for value, certainly, but McKinney was rated higher than that by a lot of people. He's the best ball hawk in the draft. I looked at the other ball hawks and I, I like Winfield. I like Ashton Davis. So those are guys who, who maybe were second round and would have possibly filled the need, probably not as good value as McKinney at, at 28, but I looked at Stone and I said, I really don't like him as a second round pick or even a third round pick. I thought the speed was not good enough. I did think he was a, a, a good back end player who had you know, the instincts that you mentioned certainly are, are very apparent, but, but also enough understanding of how coverages work to move to the right place also. So that can get underplayed in a back end safety because Tony Jefferson, that was not his strength, was, was really knowing where to be in zone coverages, for example. Uh, a lot of breakdowns when 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 he was there, but Geno Stone I think is going to is going to have the back end effectively for that type of coverage, and he probably will be pretty good at doing some of the instinctual things you're talking about. I you know it's very apparent he breaks on the ball. He's a gambler. Uh, that's a positive mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but I didn't really like him in either the second or the third round. Then he started dropping, of course, and he's still on the board. And I'm like, you know, he's now too much of a value to not take. And so I actually was tweeting during the sixth round, should the Ravens move up to get Geno Stone? What do you guys think? Because he's dropped a long way. And then, sure enough, they uh, they uh, had the pick at 209, 219. Sorry, 219 still remaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting really down towards Mr. Irrelevant land. And in the seventh round, and the Ravens took Geno Stone with their final pick. Very exciting. And uh, I was happy to get one right, by the way, after after – you know, three days basically of being wrong on just about every single freaking pick. I mean, you know, uh, it. it uh, I was happy to get you know the guy I thought was a was a real value at that point. But anyway, uh, the Ravens need that strong safety in the back end. I mentioned he comes in and immediately competes to be the best seventh round pick in Ravens history. I think he will get on the field. I think he makes the team for sure. Uh, I think he'll compete on special teams. But D'Angelo Tyson, Michael Campanero, and Ralph Staten are the three best seventh-round picks the Ravens have ever had. Ralph Staten had five interceptions in 25 games uh, during the very early Ravens seasons, the dark years that nobody really remembers. But he was a hell of a hitter uh, and and had some uh, good play. was really the Ravens' first good dime back. Uh, had some off-field issues as well. But, uh, but if Geno Stone could be at least that good, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, they're all put on notice. He's definitely one of the more exciting 
uh, final picks of the draft that we've had in a long time, at least in my recollection. Uh, like you said, we saw him falling and falling and falling um, at the seventh round. Seems like a huge value. And um, we'll see we'll see how he can uh, work his way into the lineup maybe over, over time. Uh, we have both identified that the safety position is, um, particularly because of Earl Thomas's age, uh, a place where the Ravens should start looking now to start finding that replacement because we can't um, we can't focus too much on uh, Elliot as much as we like Elliot. Uh, his hype to production ratio is completely out of whack, uh, probably the most out of whack on any Ravens player currently. Um, so we'll see if he can you know keep together for a whole season, stay healthy. Um, but yeah, Geno Stone is definitely, I think he could contribute uh, as a, a starter at one point. Yeah, Elliot, I, I mean, I think he's too good an athlete for the Ravens to cut him this year, and I think he really is a good chance to play effectively. Uh, he might be the guy that plays the back end. So far, he's been primarily a guy who's been playing on the front end. He's been playing dime, uh, that dime back slot. He, he played some oddball snaps at midseason this last year. It might have been about week five or six go back where he played in the box uh, at an inside linebacker spot on an odd down for it. So he's playing on like first and 10 snaps. He's in there playing inside linebacker and he very fast, clearly a, a pursuit player. He looked great on the back end in last preseason, but Hey, it's the second half of preseason games and the Ravens are really dominating with their exceptional depth on defense. And, and, uh, and he looked, he, he looked, Really good and rangy. I think he'll get the first shot this year to be that back-end dime who replaces uh, uh, Carr in that role. They may not move Jimmy Smith now with an option to have either Elliott or Stone on the back-end, but Jimmy Smith is another guy who could get that role um, as the deep safety that that Carr played. It would certainly get him on the field for more snaps. And maybe you get get a little look at whether or not Jimmy Smith could hang around for a few more years in the NFL as a safety. All right. So anyway, we're we're uh, Geno Stone pick. I'm 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 very excited about it. Probably one of the best values of the entire draft. We've gone through all these players here now. Ten players. Do you have an overall grade you want to give this draft, or do you? Or is it too early for you to do that? Yeah. I mean, if you just take, uh, if you just look at all the players, right, and you look at where they got them relative to value, um, I would give it a high B plus. I think a B plus is definitely warranted. Um, it fills a lot of needs. It's, it's hard to grade, you know, like you said. <laughs> they haven't played it down yet in the NFL. But uh, overall, it's a draft that's grown on me. It didn't go at all really how I expected it to go. Um, but as we've just discussed for like the last hour and a half, I think there's a lot of quality players here that really could, you know, produce for the Ravens. So that's that's what I'm going to give it a, a B plus. All right. Fair enough. Ravens made two trades. They traded number 60 and got number 71 and then picked up an extra third-round pick in the process. Because they drafted Matabuke at number 71, I think that that trade has to be considered an unqualified success because I would have taken him at number 60. I mm-hmm. would have been okay with him anyway at number 60. Terrific value at 71. And they ended up picking the you know picking up that extra pick. Is it 106? I think it was 106 is the one that picked yeah. up. might have been 98. But with it, whichever one, they ended up getting either Malik Harrison or Tyree Phillips there. And, and so they definitely picked up a player uh, in that trade with the Patriots. The, the second trade 
I didn't like as much trading a fifth round pick, but they ended up, you know, moving up a few spots and getting Geno Stone. And I think there is a chance that Geno Stone would have been taken in that gap. Uh, you know, he, he was he was uh, he was rising as best player available on like a Mel Kiper board at that point. And, and you know, people were at least seeing that if yeah. they, you know, some, some of these people may have really reduced scouting anyway in a year like this. And, you know, the Bengals didn't do any scouting at all. They're just reading scouting reports anyway. And, <laughs> and that. So they're, they're, they're probably picking for the PFF guide anyway. So, so Gino Stone might have been someone they, they would have taken at that point. You know, I'm slightly <laughs> exaggerating that, but, but <laughs> yeah, that, probably just, like, who's, who's Mel say that we should? Uh, yeah. that's, how, that's how they save money. They can't fill the stadium. So they're just like. There you go. <laughs> who's Mel Kiper think we should, we should uh, pick up? That, that's, that's a great point, Ken. <laughs> So uh, uh, I'm I, I'm sure it's it's hyperbole. It's intended. This is this is true sarcasm. You can tell it in my voice. Unlike the whole disinfectant thing that happened recently, but, okay. uh, but, but yeah, but yeah. Anyway, this this is uh, uh, I I I guess you'd have to say really both trades kind of worked out. I like to pick up a stone, but it is a it's a fair amount of of draft capital from next year. They've eaten up now. So their fifth round pick uh, is gone. It may be a case of a fifth-round pick to be named later where it's the lowest fifth-round pick and the Ravens will get a comp there, so it'll end up not being quite as high a pick. But, uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a um, uh, you know, fairly significant exchange of value anyway out of, out of the 2021 draft, and that, that works more to your win-now you know, comment is that, is that they've they put an extra, extra pick into this year. I... I'm not sure I really like that from one additional point of view is that it's it's made sense to me to try and reset some of what the value they had in this draft into 2021 and not the other way around because mm. we still don't know if we're playing football this year. And wouldn't it make a lot of sense to have a little more draft capital next year uh, when when these guys, uh, you know, when you know, another set of players obviously be available, but but you'll have, uh, you know, guys who are closer to presumably last playing in college. I mean, I just, if, if the college football season is lost, I don't even know where we are. Yeah. I, I was about I, to say again, yeah. if maybe you don't want any more draft picks next year, because yeah. <laughs> you don't even know if you're going to be able to see the, the guys uh, for a whole year. So I can see both sides of the equation. We're just in unprecedented times to be able to uh, kind of project which way makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. I really appreciate doing this with you, Alec. Thanks for taking the time uh, out of your very, very busy Sunday. I know you're getting alterations done and whatnot. So anyway, <laughs> we, uh, uh, we do appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure. Uh, what are you working on right now and where can people find your work? Yeah. So uh, we'll be recording tomorrow night. Uh, Ravens recap. Uh, you can find us at ravensrecap.com or anywhere you find your podcasts. And uh, we also are on Twitter, Ravens underscore recap. Uh, and, you know, thanks for having me on again, Ken. It's really been a lot of fun, uh, you know, chatting with you more. Uh, and, and thanks for having Peter on doing the offensive line uh, last week or a week or two ago. Um, we really enjoyed uh, your show. We were learning a lot from uh, everything we hear from you. And uh, and yeah, thanks. It was a great time. Well, well, I'm I'm sure we'll do more, Alec. These have been these have been good uh, shows. And that's why we keep uh, asking you to come on. So anyway, <laughs> appreciate it. And uh, I want people to go out and look on filmstudybaltimore.com. Check out the material that's out there. One of the things I really want people to look at, and and it'll it should be a little bit fun if you've particularly if you've still got video time uh, during the day. Look at the defensive packages. The the video out there is called "What That Defense" is actually in the article section 
and it shows a visual of how the Ravens play defense in 2019. And try and work through that and figure out how many of those defenses are completely changed for what the Ravens, uh, you know, from the personnel picked up in this draft, particularly at inside linebacker, and, and what they are likely to do differently. But it's going to be a massive change. It's going to be a rewritten defensive playbook this next year from uh, uh, from Martindale. And I think that we'll, we'll we'll see a lot of differences, but it's kind of also fun to look back and see how things have changed. I, I've got a historical perspective on that, that, that just I've really appreciated how defensive coordinators individually play the game differently. But then also now Martindale has just been a master of adapting his defense to the personnel he's had uh, year after year. And, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how this plays out with the, uh, the group of players and a very odd kind of group of players he has coming in. Yeah, the Ravens definitely look to be making a shift. It seems like they, hopefully it's not overcorrecting, but they, they learned something from that uh, playoff loss, and they're they're definitely going to be a little bit more physical this year. All right. Alec, we'll, uh, we'll see you another time soon, I'm sure. And thanks to everybody listening for joining us for Film Study. We'll catch you next time. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, 
Did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.